What's up, everyone, and welcome to No Time Theology. If you are new here, we do uh, quick and easy lessons about God and His Word, but we also do some long-form podcasts, and so I want to jump into one of those today. This is our second podcast, and today we are talking about the social justice gospel. If you are not familiar with the social justice gospel, um, I don't blame you because this has been something that has been rising over the past few years, mainly starting in um, in academics with this uh, theory of criticism, biblical criticism known as CRT or critical race theory stemming out of secularism from the Frankfurt School and kind of moving into American society. And so this has been really big uh, lately, especially in the church in light of what has been going on with Black Lives Matter, the death of George Floyd, obviously right now at the time of this recording, uh, Derek Chauvin is on trial, and there's so much uh, division going on in the church, and particularly in the Southern Baptist Convention, there have been so many big splits, and so we're going to talk about those things and discuss them today, and I have two controversial tweets that I want to bring up. One of them was tweeted uh, this past Easter Sunday and was interesting um, because it almost uh, made it seem like this pastor was a proponent of a almost Roman Catholic gospel, uh, which is quite odd for a Southern Baptist, I believe. And then we're going to be talking about another tweet that I just constantly see everywhere. I've seen this uh, in the art hall of my university, and I've uh, seen this all over social media recently, and it's been gaining some more traction. And so we just, I just want to dive in and talk about these issues. So the first issue, this first tweet, I want to read this tweet to you that was tweeted by U.S. Senator Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, who is a pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. This is what he said uh, on Sunday, and this tweet has since been deleted, but this is what the tweet said. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. This is certainly interesting, and man, did did Warnock uh, catch some heat for tweeting this out? This truly was what seemed to be an almost inappropriate tweet to 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 tweet out on Easter Sunday of all of all days when we celebrate the resurrection of our Redeemer and Savior to make a suggestion that we are able to save ourselves, that the meaning of Easter is not the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's saying the meaning of Easter, which is more transcendent than that very resurrection, is our commitment to helping others and therefore saving ourselves. So before we actually dive into this and address some arguments, I want to give you some background as to who this Warnock guy even is. And so Warnock is a graduate of Union Theological Seminary. If you're not familiar with Union, Union is like the hub of CRT and liberal theology. Like if there's any hub in the world, um, this would be it. Okay, so Union affects uh, so many other American seminaries. Uh, I had a professor at my own university. Um, 
you know, pretty much praise union for being like the Mecca of the gospel or something. And uh, their ideas have permeated my coast here in the West Coast through Fuller Seminary, which is certainly uh, an affiliate of them to some extent in regard to their views on things. And I have a lot of professors who are from Fuller. And so their ideas have been brought into my university, which was traditionally a conservative evangelical university. And now I had literally have not met any conservative professors. Um, and coming in as a progressive Christian to college myself, uh, that was an interesting experience because it made me not a progressive Christian anymore. And I'll talk about that a little bit too. But nonetheless, Warnock is a graduate of Union. He graduated from the seminary with two master's degrees and went back and got his PhD. Um, and so this dude's a smart dude, you know, undoubtedly. And not only that, but he's a senior pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, a very historic Baptist church indeed. So what do we do with this? How do we frame this tweet in our mind? Well, we have to understand that he is coming from a particular perspective. He's coming from the perspective of black liberation theology. And the Washington Post has an excellent um, article on it. If you haven't uh, read the Post article, I will definitely recommend doing so. It will be in the show notes or the description. And this is what the Post writes. This is not from, um, I guess you could say, any perspective of left to right theology. This is the Post writing this. They write, Black liberation theology sees life through the lens of racial oppression and the idea that anything that doesn't liberate isn't consistent with Jesus. And so this is in, indeed an interesting secular perspective, I suppose you can say, because I think it does a good job of framing what black liberation theology is. It sees everything through this lens of racial oppression, and therefore there is a huge need for racial reconciliation, and anyone who isn't pursuing that actively uh, is truly maybe not even a Christian. And um, this can be taken to some extremes. I think that there are, are certain things that we can learn as Christians from liberation theology. Obviously, we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to fight for justice. Justice needs to be a a central, um, what, what, what could you say? Our pursuit of justice needs to be a central aspect of our lives because Jesus indeed came uh, not to heal those who were righteous, but to heal those who were sick. He's a physician for the sick, and therefore, as Christians, we are to go out and talk to sinners, yet at the same time, we also know that the whole world is sick, the whole world has fallen, the whole world is depraved, and we have all turned our back against God, and so we have to reconcile these two ideas of, well, we're all sick, so how do we actually pursue reconciliation in a world that is utterly depraved? But generally speaking, this theology was really bolstered by a man by the name of James Cone, Dr. James Cone, who passed away in 2018, I believe. If you're not familiar with Dr. Cone, he was the main uh, proprietor of black liberation theology. As a matter of fact, on my bookshelf, I have one of his books uh, called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. I read it for a class recently. And I read it, and man, like, it, there is some great truth in James Cone's writing. I mean, the he, he often writes of what black folks suffered and are currently suffering. And in the case of The Cross and the Lynching Tree, it was more about what does the incarnation of Christ mean 
for humanity in the sense of racial reconciliation. And Cohn went back to the lynching era where uh, so many black folks were just killed for the sake of being black. And these horrible, vicious images of, of black folks being hung off of bridges and trees and blood being soaked into the ground, it, it almost, in, in Cone's writing, we see Christ in that, in some extent, that perhaps these are black Christians who are being hung on trees just as Christ was hung on trees, and their blood is being spilled just as Jesus's blood was being spilled, and those are things that we need to actively fight against, and those are horrible crimes. And James Cone brings that into our current day and tries to, uh, what could you say, use analogies of systemic oppression and uh, what he would call the, the white man's gospel, so to speak, that white people have ruled the church for so long. And uh, he even goes so far to say in, I believe, his book, The God of the Oppressed, that white folks, white Christians, need to authenticate their faith through black Christians. That in order for all of us, in order for the church to recognize a single white person's faith, it needs to be authenticated by black folks. And that's where things get a little bit extreme. And so you could see the polarization in this issue. And this is what is coming behind Raphael Warnock's tweet, tweet here. All of these things about CRT. And this is what the Washington Post wrote about this tweet. For many conservative Christians, the tweet challenged the core belief of their faith. Jesus' literal resurrection is the way to salvation. To many progressive and moderate Christians, Warnock seemed to be suggesting closeness to God is more about their actions, what they do to relieve suffering and create justice. The seeking of social justice is emphasized in particular in the black church. And this is indeed uh, very true. And I want to read this quote, this tweet from Jenna Ellis, who is a lawyer representing uh, John MacArthur and Grace Community Church. If you're not familiar with that situation, Grace Church has been booming. Um, they've doubled in size as refugees from all over LA County and Southern California have been fleeing to their church because churches are just not opening up because of COVID right now. Um, and so people are going to Grace Church and John MacArthur has held his hands wide open to people who are coming. And Jenna Ellis, his lawyer, said this, this, meaning Warnock's tweet, is a false gospel and heresy. We cannot save ourselves. The absolute truth and only meaning of Easter that matters is the literal physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we must accept him as Lord and Savior. Read Romans, quote, Reverend Warnock. You are a false teacher. So definitely some harsh words from Miss Ellis here. And indeed, I agree with her um, that the absolute meaning of Easter, it's not anything secondary. It is the literal and physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. The empty tomb is what we focus on. Jesus as the Messiah is what we focus on. And we evangelize and, uh, and, and try to get people by means of the Holy Spirit to confess and believe in Jesus. And that is at the heart of Easter. Nothing transcends that which Raphael Warnock apparently didn't agree with. 
Reverend Dr. Serene Jones, president of Union Seminary, said that the attacks against Warnock from conservative Christians and the like were merely a part of a political smear campaign, <laughs> which is definitely an interesting take. It just shows how, I think almost in a way, can I say blind Jones is to this? I mean, yes, there certainly are political aspects, and there are many conservative Christians who, yeah, may just have political differences. But for me, as I would personally identify as a more or less conservative Christian, certainly one of the more conservative Christians in my circle of, of, of folks that I know, whether at church or at school and whatnot, even me, I, I, I think that there are too many conservatives who go too far with this stuff. But I, I definitely do not agree with Warnock here. And this is what Jones wrote in a statement. Senator Warnock's Easter tweet highlights the central tenet of the Christian faith, caring for the least of these of God's creation. The resurrection of Jesus shows that God's love for us is stronger than death. Christians must avoid the temptation of narrowly defining the meaning of salvation, which stops us from advancing the goal of universal love. Hmm. Let me be clear. Universal love is indeed central to the gospel. We are to love God and love our neighbor, but Christ's resurrection reigns supreme over it all. Without Christ's bodily death and resurrection, we would have no ethic of love in the first place. And this is the truth of the gospel. Loving neighbor as yourself is truly central, but it is not the main point of the gospel. The main point of the gospel is that you are a sinner in need of a savior. And Christ being the perfect lamb, lived a perfect life, died on your behalf, was buried and resurrection, authenticating his role as, a, as the Messiah, authenticating his claim to be the Son of God, that the fullness of deity dwelt in him. This is what we uphold. We don't uphold works no matter how just or good those works might be. I used to be a progressive Christian myself. I, like I said, I read Cone at my university. Um, I've read folks like Miguel de la Torre, who wrote Reading the Gospel from the Margins, as a matter of fact. I believe that's a text that pretty much every student at my university has to read for one of our courses. Um, and if you don't know, Miguel is the mentor of Reverend Brandon Robertson, the TikTok guy who I talked about in my last podcast. And so, man, I mean, the, the things that are being taught in this movement are quite, quite wild sometimes. Um, even denying the inerrancy of scripture, denying that the Bible is God's authoritative word to man, sometimes denying the supernatural occurrences of the Bible, almost as if this hyper-romanticism that we saw in the 19th century uh, is just permeating this current century once again. There's truly nothing new uh, under the sun in some extent. And so, coming into college myself, when it came to progressive Christianity, I was very much politically progressive at the time. 
And I truly didn't really understand the Bible theology. I mean, I was just, you know, a kid coming into college and man, my ideas were challenged um, by progressive Christianity because I myself wanted to embrace them as a political progressive. I wanted to embrace every single one of them at the time. And I found myself just having my faith tarnished. I mean, how can I, I ask myself, how can I believe in the Bible if I don't believe that it is the inerrant, infallible word of God? Why do I believe that? Because the writer of it, the author, the inspirer of it cannot err. God cannot make errors. He is not fallible like you and I. He's not a man that he should lie. He is separate, distinct, and divine. And I found myself questioning why I could even believe that perhaps some of the Bible wasn't God's word. And then all of a sudden, I had all these other social justice types of things thrown at me, and I didn't really understand what they were. I just thought that, oh, okay, these are indeed a part of the gospel. I see the arguments. But I started seeing how this type of theology started making room for pastors being in gay relationships. How these weird arguments <laughs> just about... Uh, making the Bible whatever you want it to say, making it the book that you want to write, not that God wrote, but that you wrote, and you're the sole interpreter of it. Um, I just really did not like that type of rhetoric. And it really rocked my faith. And this is a type of stuff that I have seen come up so often. And I, I mean, I had a conversation with some friends last semester and they just said, man, I've seen so many Christian ministry majors leave the faith because of some of these theories. And it's truly sad to see some people just leave the faith because they can't reconcile progressive Christianity with the Bible. Or they go so far down the lane of progressive Christianity that they just leave the Bible behind completely. It's truly sad to see, and I, I, I really wish that we can reform this and really uphold Semper Referanda and just continue reforming the church in many ways. And this is indeed what we're seeing in the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention is about to split because of complementarianism, because of CRT and other issues of liberation theology and liberal Christians versus conservative Christians. And... We're seeing this just rattle the church, truly rattle it, and to some extent divide it, certainly. We're, we're out here debating what the gospel is. I mean, who thought that Christians would be doing that? We did that in, in the second century when it came to Arian, or excuse me, the, the fourth century when it came to Arianism, and we had the Nicene Creed and Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed. And man, you, you would think that it was done right there when we shut that down and then we shut Pelagianism down, but we're seeing such a resurgence of similar themes and, and cynicism when it comes to the gospel. And these things are just permeating our seminaries and universities and therefore our churches. And I think that we ought to be careful. To illustrate this more, I want to talk about a second tweet that I've seen make the rounds on social media. Uh, this this young lady, her name is Kristen, uh, she tweeted this out. Annual reminder that Jesus was a brown-skinned Middle Eastern Jewish refugee who befriended sex workers, lower-class citizens, and other outsiders. 
Muchacha fanzine, a Christian feminist magazine that ironically reposts uh, so-called Christian tweets with curse words in them, uh, added a comment on their repost of this tweet. They added, who was tortured and executed by the state. Interesting stuff here. What do I think about this? I think Jesus did not just befriend people for the sake of being nice. I think that's pretty evident. He came here to redeem those who were given to him by the Father. What does he say in John 6, 37-39? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Jesus had a mission. It was not to waddle around and meet new friends, but to save those who were sick, lost, and dead in their trespasses and sins. To save the prostitute, not to merely just befriend her. To save the outcast and not just merely befriend him. I am glad that Jesus is not merely my friend, but my teacher, savior, redeemer, master, lord, and God. That is what I am happy about. Think of the, the thief on the cross. Did, did Jesus just say, okay, I'm going to befriend you, guy who is you know, confessing me as lord? No, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' blood that he was shedding for that thief on the cross was going to act in such a way that it would cleanse that sinner, an insurrectionist, a thief who was dying naked on Calvary's hill. And if it can cleanse that man, it can cleanse any sex worker. It can cleanse uh, any outcast, any marginalized person, any sinner, no matter what you have done. That was the mission of Christ. It wasn't just to walk around and be a hippie, it was to save people. And I think it's interesting that this saying of Jesus being a brown-skinned Middle Eastern Jewish refugee, (laughs) most of the time in today's society, Jews are not really considered an oppressed people. I mean, I think Jews make up less than, what, one-tenth of one percent of the world, yet they have won, like, over a third of the Nobel Prizes? They, they're certainly a well-to-do people despite being historically oppressed. Many people today in American society don't even consider Jews to be oppressed. Uh, they, they don't consider them to be this marginalized uh, group of people, yet this tweet, this woman is referring to Jesus as a brown-skinned Jew. It's quite interesting. Quite interesting social commentary on that and how we even view Jews because there are many progressive Christians who perhaps don't uh, have high view of, of, of Jews, but interesting thoughts there. One of the things that this Muchacha fanzine <laughs> a magazine adds is this. They say, by the state, Jesus was executed, right? We read that before. And by the state, I think, implies state-sanctioned oppression of brown people. I think that's really what this magazine is trying to get at here. I don't really agree with this, just according to the historical situation of the Bible. This is why it's always important for exegesis to be a main part of sermons, not just reading the Bible uh, in our own times, through our own lens, but bringing people back into the time that the text was written. We have to remember that Pilate didn't want to actually crucify Jesus. 
Pilate was a representative of the state there, you see. And, and in John 18, 38, Pilate says that he found no fault in Jesus. The Jews, his own people, were the ones piercing him vicariously through the state. This is why Isaiah 53 says that they, meaning the Jews, will look upon the one whom they have pierced and realize that he died for their iniquity and that the chastisement of God was upon him, that very chastisement that brought them peace. It wasn't the state. There wasn't the state-sanctioned oppression. This, this was prophecy being fulfilled. And I mean, that, that isn't that such a beautiful thing? I mean, that the prophecies were fulfilled. Yet, this tweet just kind of twists things a little bit and puts things into whatever perspective people want to frame the gospel and this is done so often nowadays. As for me, man, I mean, I've just seen this type of gospel tear up so many Christians' lives. And it's really worrying for me to see. And I know that this is becoming more and more popular, especially in my own circles of Christianity. And man, it's just... It, it's worrying to an extent. It's concerning for me because I realize that, yeah, I have a duty to fight for justice in this world. But to say that that is paramount, to almost, to, to, to say that the gospel is social justice it is quite a radical claim. And I'm not quite sure if I can get behind that. Indeed, pursuing social justice is a result of the gospel, just as pursuing works is a result of the gospel. But that's not the gospel like Warnock suggested. We don't save ourselves. Christ's sacrifice on the cross is what does that very saving. By the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and the sovereign hand of the Father, we are saved. But I think that this social justice gospel completely twists that and in one way, I do think that many conservative Christians may go too far, may push the boundary too much, just as many progressive Christians may push that brown boundary too much. And so we need to be discerning. It's important that we look at these sorts of tweets, social media posts, topical sermons, even expository sermons, with a very keen and, and, and insightfully discerning eye, if I will. We are to submit ourselves to God's word and commands. This is true. Some of the proponents of the social justice gospel are indeed true Christians who are evangelizing the world and defending the word of the Lord. There are also others who are blatantly trying to befriend the world by cursing, ridiculing, and advocating for secular agendas. Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. We ought to be careful how much we befriend the world and its agendas. And let us not become so cynical that we deny any room for loving our neighbor in the gospel, as doing so is clearly central to the mission of the church. However, Christ's perfect life and resurrection reign supreme over all things, and He, and He alone, will be the one to rid the world of its sins 
and rescue his saints from all oppression and eternal destruction.